Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Garden Gossip, the home and garden show, with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Well, on today's Big Blend Radio Garden Gossip show, we're going to Montana to chat about organic gardening and composting with Jackie Marie Bayer. She is host of the Organic Gardener podcast, where they interview organic gardeners and farmers all about the world of organic gardening, everything from aquaponics and beekeeping to seeds, raised beds, and even worms. Yes, vermiculture. We love worms around here. You can go to her website. It's organicgardenerpodcast.com. They've got some great free downloads on there as well. But Jackie, how are you? I'm awesome this morning, Lisa, and I'm so excited to be here. We're glad to have you here. I mean, uh, when we think about organic gardening, you know, a lot of times most of us won't think Montana and snow get along with organic gardening. But apparently (laughs) you and Mike, your husband, are making it work. Well, and actually one of my amazing guests on my podcast, this woman, Mandy Girth, who her and her husband and they're like these rock star millennials that um, are growing, like they farm for the market. And she talks about being in Montana is actually easier than where she grew up in Indiana because the cold kills off a lot of the bugs and we don't have as many pests here as other people deal with. And like definitely on my show, I think the number one thing people talk about is time. But the second, one of the second biggest things they talk about is pests. So we're actually situated pretty good that way. And then the other Mm. thing that we do have is really, really long days in the summer. So sometimes that'll help us catch up. But, you know, it's not without its challenges, and there's certainly things we can't grow here. But it's Mm. it's actually a pretty good climate. How did you get involved in gardening? Is this something you did as a kid or as a family or or for Mike? How, How did this all start for the two of you? So that's a great question. So I actually grew up in New York and my mom is a gardener, but as many of my guests say, I did not want to have anything to do with gardening when I was a kid. And, um, but just, you know, her always having the garden and liking to be in the garden. And then my husband grew up in Colorado and we met here in Montana and he's kind of always had a garden, I think, since he was, probably since like he first got married and had his own kids and his mom always had a garden, like when he was a kid. So he's 14 years older than I am. So when he was a kid, they had a 1200 acre ranch and we're, I don't know, like 65 miles from like the really biggest town. So his mom, like, you know, they, they had a garden. A lot of their food came from their garden or their neighbor's gardens or, you know, they had Mm -hmm. cows and um, they had to, you know, what his mom grew, they had four boys, four hungry boys. So, a lot of, I think, what he learned was from her. And then mm. we um, we have a really unique path because, like, when we first got married back in the early 90s, we didn't even have running water for six years before we dug our first shallow well. And then even after we dug that, 
that wasn't really enough to water the lawn or, you know, we could have like a few small garden beds. So we dug a deep well, uh, like, I don't know, a few years ago. And then my husband built what I call the mini farm. And so we've just kind of really slowly over, we're going to be married 25 years this June, been building, wow. you know, starting with very small, like two, four by eight beds. And just over the years, we've added more and added more. And I say we with like a <laughs> bit of, um, I'm not really the gardener. He does like 99% of the work. But the one thing that you wanted to talk about today was compost. And that is one of my more like, I always collect the compost at our house. I eat a ton of the vegetables. I eat way more out of the garden because I really like to eat salads and I put vegetables on everything. So, um, nice. you know, I have learned that way watching him. And then I contribute to the compost, which people think composting mm -hmm. is complicated, but it really isn't. Like there's are some really simple tips to help you build successful compost. And even as I'm looking outside, like, We've been in blizzard all week. I'm looking at the snow. Wow. We're still collecting compost now. We're throwing in our bin right on top of the snow when, you know, everything melts. It's just going to help it decompose more. You know, the one thing you have to watch out wow. for are rodents, critters getting into your compost. We have two dogs and three cats, so we don't have as big of a problem with that here. But, you know, my mom on Long Island has a bigger problem. And they have huge um, rabbits explosion in the city where my mom grew up on Long Island. So she has to be a little more careful. Another thing I always tell people is that um, like fish bones or fish skin or fish heads, anything like any kind of fish is super good for your compost. And that's another thing that animals will kind of get into. But, um, and right. I don't know, do you want me to talk a little bit since we kind of got on that topic of compost, like what you would put in compost if people have questions about it? Well, yeah, you know, the, the one thing about composting is interesting. When we lived in the high desert out near Joshua Tree, and I know you're in national park country too, um, we moved into this place and, and our house, you know, it still had the soil really needed to be amended. I mean, we're talking high desert plus um, the chemicals were still in the ground from whenever they built this place. And because the people after it never really amended it. And um, we went through, I mean, we had little midget plants, like little teeny things coming up when we planted things because the soil was so, you know, just drained. And so we did a lot of amending. Actually, um, we used organic mechanic soil that mostly people use back east um, with Mark Highland Soil Company. So his stuff really worked because it's all organic. And then we started, we used some uh, manure to really bring some life back into it. But the other thing we learned about was uh, what was called bokashi. And it's, we actually, because I was just thinking, because you talked about fish and uh, using that, we, you could actually, it's like making a tea um, with this. It would actually break down meat and bones. And it was, you could clean your drains with this stuff, but I mean, you'd have to put like a little bit to thousands of, you know, like a ton of water because it was so strong, it would clean your drains. But that stuff, I mean, worked magic on our soil. So have you experimented with that or are you mostly doing like the leaves and the and the peelings and stuff like that. Yeah. We mostly just stick to leaves, peelings, grass clippings, um, any mm. kind of like, you know, leftover greens from the garden, you know, like squash leaves or beet mm -hmm. greens or, you know, anything that you're potato you know, the types of potatoes, things like that. But what's bakash like can you spell that? Bakashi. Um I will let me look it up. Yeah, because it was like a it's like a yeast. And um, so it's really neat, Bakashi. It 
it works in just about everything. It's like, it's like making a tea almost. Um, we we just put it in a big tub in in the kitchen, and um, you would add water to it in your things, and it would become the stew. And then you just you know tap it out and add a whole bunch of water water to it. Um, I'm gonna have to look it up because it, oh bokashi it's b o k a s h i compost bokashi b o k a s h i it's a fermenting system. We like fermenting. Did you things. get that from? Mark Hyland? I just interviewed him last no, week. No, no, that's not like, from Mark Hyland. we're talking. Oh. No, Mark yeah. Hyland has, um, he makes this amazing, he, he does a lot with biochar, and he makes amazing soils. Um, you can get them online now, too, which is cool. And I remember there being coconut husk, and it's, everything is very organic. He's a very organic company. Um, so we got that from him. But Bokashi is what else we use, because you could put dairy, you could put meat. Um, it's really good. It, it's like probiotics for your soil. But it's, yeah, Bokashi, uh, B-O-K-A-S-H-I. That's amazing. I'm going to have to look into that because, yeah, we've never put, like, dairy or any kind of meat parts in our compost. Yeah, and that's always been that like, big no-no. That and... either, like, he, that he feeds his chickens. Oh, wow. He doesn't so, like them I'm... to eat meat. I know some people don't care about that, but he doesn't like his chickens to eat any kind of meat or anything like that. Mm-hmm. that we use so their you guys chicken. have chickens? You have chickens? Yeah. How cool. Uh, That's cool. Good for your soil, right? To have the chicken scratch out there. And do you add that to your compost, or do you use it at all in your garden? Yeah, big challenge we have is that I finally talked Mike into letting the chickens out of their pen after like ten years, and then the chickens now get into the garden, so they don't mm-hmm. get into the mini farm. So we're having because somehow we have to. Teach, and I know people say clip their wings and they won't be able to fly once you pen them up back in their cage. They they can only get into oh. your garden, but I don't know. I haven't done that, so we have to figure out what we're going to do about that. But yeah, we've always had the chickens for the manure, and I always say the eggs are the you know topping on the cake. But you know, once you have chickens, it's really hard to eat store bought eggs. And yeah, um, but yeah, the chicken manure is excellent for the soil and just uh you were talking about reclaiming your property and i know like yeah. for like organic farm standards you have to wait three years from our property for that to go out but another thing that like my guests have talked about a lot on my show because soil health is definitely like the biggest thing mm-hmm. like that is the key like your healthy soil if you don't have healthy soil you're just basically dumb for it but one of the things that um, several people have talked about is you have to really watch where you get your manure from. If you're getting any kind of cow manure, then you have to make mm-hmm. sure it doesn't come from any kind of cows that have eaten weed free hay. Cause that means that the hay has the chemicals on it and that has ruined several garden beds. And like some people like have like wow. even had it like in one bed and not another bed because they got like it from a new source. And so that's something. And um, I talked to a lady who works at a nursery around here in this area. And she said like there was one summer where everybody kind of got it from this one source and their gardens were just ruined. You know, things died and the wow. leaves turned nasty colors. And so that's something you have to be really like, where are you getting your source of manure? And then, you know, a healthy soil, like, that's the one thing about gardening. It takes a lot of dirt. It takes mm-hmm. a lot of comp. Like you know, it's hard to just you know have enough compost form from your own scraps and waste to plenish a garden. Although I do like one of my guests, Denny Cray. He was actually my very first episode. He's in my podcasting class, and he had to record it because I couldn't figure out how to record. But he's been listening. He's from Florida, and I do have a lot of listeners in Florida. 
his podcast mm. is about running, but he eats really healthy. And then he was talking to me about the vermiculture, and that's what kind of got me into trying to have a worm bin in my classroom last year because we ate breakfast in the classroom, and then every day at lunch. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. There's a fruit and salad bar for the kids. And I'm in a district with, I think there's 2,000 students between K-12 and so that's a lot of compostable material that they are. So oh, we neat. at least tried to save the compostable material from my classroom. The one th- we had a couple of challenges with the worm bin in my classroom. One, I got a class guinea pig, and I put the guinea pig on top of the worm bin with a cardboard barrier, and I thought that would be enough to keep it, but it really needs more air, I think. I found I have talked to a couple other guests who talked about who have talked about, but maybe they open it more or just I don't know. And then the other problem we had was we ate breakfast in the classroom. And right when we got the worm bin, we switched schedules. So my kids started going to lunch and then going to recess. So I had originally thought we would pick up their lunch materials and bring it back to the classroom. And breakfast is more fruity and worms really like more greens. They need more of the vegetables that they would get at lunch. So I think we would have had more success if, one, we had left the lid off and it got more air. And, two, it wasn't filled with just grapes and citrus and orange peels and pears. And I don't know. I think Mm. the worms just needed more lettuces and more greens. Like, I needed to pay better attention to that um, thing. But But we did. Like, one thing I talk about a lot is growing the lettuce bins in the classroom because not only was that guinea pig ate two full heads of like romaine or green leaf lettuce every single day and lettuce was like 3.99 a head last summer or last winter just when I was trying to do it so then once we were able to start growing enough lettuce to feed him in the classroom was so cool but here we are in Montana in February like by the time spring came around by like April we were getting enough between the classroom and then we were bringing a lot of dandelions to supplement him, but I didn't have to buy. But that's mm. like something I really learned that was encouraging that you can grow, you know, enough lettuce at least to put on sandwiches or like I've grown a lot of arugula in my apartment. Um, and just the one I struggle with is like the succession planning. Like, so I ate all the lettuce and then I didn't have another bed. So I need to plan another bed and just um, mm. stuff like that. But your listeners probably want to hear more about like big gar- like gardening in their yards. Well, I think it's interesting that you bring up the schools because you know, for as a teacher, and, and you're also an artist, people should know that too. And um, you know, it's really neat that kids can get involved and be able to see that. I think that's so important that they they learn the cycle of life. You know, whether it's you know it's trial and error, like you're saying, okay, we're trying this and everything. So that's really neat. So when someone you know just going to the composting and actually going out into the garden for the first time saying, okay, I'm going to compost, okay? So it does take a while. Just before we talk about everything you're going to put in it and how to start it, how long does it take to actually get compost that you can use in your garden? 
So Cabo's thing's kind of seasonal, and it depends on you and your situation. Like, my brother still lives on Long Island in the suburbs, and him and his wife are really busy. So they they basically do one compost pile for the whole year. Like, they just kind of collect their scraps through the summer, throw their leaves in, let it sit through the winter, and they get one big giant bin of compost in the spring. And then that's what they put all over their mostly landscaping beds. I mean, my brother and his wife don't do any vegetables. They have quite a few herbs and then just around like their flowers in their yard and their landscape. Now my husband and I, because we are focusing more on gardening and we have um, between the mini farm and just the beds around our house, we try to in the summer build like during the year. So we're collecting it now. We'll get a good batch in the spring. And then in the heat of summer, when Mike's like mowing the lawn pretty much to do our lawn, like he'll mow a little piece of lawn every day. And by the time he gets to one end, it's back to the other end during like June and July. And during that time, I say we could make a batch of compost within two weeks with enough lawn scrap and food from the garden and maybe throw a little dirt in there. So but he uses a lot more. And so, but that's only like, that's only a short period. I would say maybe June to July. Cause by August in Montana, there's not enough water. You're not clipping your, you're not mowing your lawn anymore. Cause it's just not growing. Oh, wow. enough. It's just kind of short wow. because um, you almost want to let it grow like places where I've seen in our orchard where he's like mowed the outside and the inside, he kind of has let grow and where it's taller on the inside, it's greener. And the part on the outside where he mowed the last time before, you know, the drought kind of comes in is much browner. So it's almost better to not mow. But like in the thick of June and July, when we're getting a lot of rain, like it'll grow two or three inches in a few days. Like it just grows really fast at different times. So it all depends on your season and what's happening. And then, so when you, when you go and start of composting, I mean, do people need to buy a bin or is it something you can kind of build yourself to put the different layers in? Those are great questions. So I always talk about for my, our 14th anniversary, Mike built me my favorite compost bin. So we have, I don't know, one outside the house, one down by the garden, and then he's got like three out in what I call the mini farm. And we're kind of always rotating them. But the one that he built, I like it right outside my kitchen. Like for me, gardening needs to be convenient. I want like a kitchen garden. One of these years he's going to build me one right outside my kitchen that has just like things for salads. But the compost pile that he put, it used to be down kind of like a little hill and down closer to the garden where you are going to be using it more. But to have one right outside my kitchen door where I can just, you know, throw the coffee grounds every time I make a pot of coffee just easily or eggshells or so the compost bin that's right outside my kitchen directly it's basically made out of slats or not slats but like I think they're one by fours and it's kind of a box and then he's built these like slats in the front that you can take out so it can hold it's probably like knee high so it can hold a lot it's really easy to turn with the pitchfork so almost every time you go you know you're more inclined to turn it a lot and like I said air is key keeping you know turning it the more you can flip it especially when you're putting like big bags of um, lawn clippings in it Mm -hmm. you know to be able to mix that up and just keep it going like I don't know you can just kind of you'll just kind of get a feel for it but 
that's what we use. I know some people have used like, um, you know, kind of like a plastic garbage can. There's some composting companies out there, especially like I said, like where my mom lives in the suburbs, she has to be more careful about raccoons and about the rabbits getting into it. So she kind of needs to bury it a little more, or some people are going to need to have a screen over it to keep the animals out. So there's all sorts of different um, situations. And then like for us, it's nice to be able to have like, once one gets full, it maybe takes a few days or maybe the two weeks to get it to um, turning into compost where Michael will be like, don't throw any more new material in there. And then we'll go use the one that's closer to the garden for a while, or we'll just keep it in pots until he empties that and puts it in the wheelbarrow or just like mm-hmm. he has like a rotation. System. But to me, composting is really easy. Like I even like the kids, I'll save all their, because I know there's some debate out there whether kids eat vegetables, but let me tell you at the beginning of this year, when I had um, micro these purple dragon's tongue, green beans, except they weren't really green. Oh, cool. They were like white with purple stripes. The yeah. kids love them. They, they're like, when are you going to have those green beans again? And I'm like, looking, I'm like, uh, maybe next fall. You know, <laughs> we're not going to have green beans again this year. Where are the carrots? And they they will eat. You know, they love their fruit and vegetable snack. That they're lucky if they get it three days a week. I think is in the afternoon, two thirty. They like to have a snack. Um, um, that's neat. I was I wanted to ask you too. I mean, what is because the terrain about being in Montana, you're saying, okay, get longer summers, which is neat. And so you get to be outside a little bit longer. Um, but what do you do in the winter? I mean, it, it, do you, do you do any kind of greenhousing um, or, or is it pretty much okay? Do you, and do you can any of the things that you do you like preserve any of the produce that you harvest through the summer and, and early fall? Absolutely. So Mike definitely cans. He pickles beets. He cans carrots. He's trying to build us a root cellar where we can save our potatoes and golden beets mm-hmm. were like amazing last year that he grew and things like that. But um, before that, you asked me about extending the season. And so, yeah, it mm-hmm. is. It's February 17th. We are talking about there's like a blizzard warning coming today. We didn't have school four days this week, but he's going to start. Any day now, I can tell to start to put seeds. And I posted pictures yesterday on my Facebook group of his seedlings that he had from February 28th last year. So what he's going to do is start putting things in the windows, um, just small, like he'll put like peppers, like he'll take an old pie pan, a recycled pie pan or something, and fill it full of dirt, and he'll put a whole bunch of pepper seeds in there. And then maybe a month from now, when they're growing and they're maybe an inch high, He'll take a knife and like ever so delicately and patiently transplant them into individual containers. And then he'll have pepper plants. And by then, around March, what he does is, in our situation, it's a little different. We have wood heat with a wood stove, and he used to be a Mm -hmm. logger, so we have a ton of wood always. And he will plastic off like our porch off our kitchen, and then he like leaves the kitchen window and the kitchen door open. And you can't actually go out that way like while it's plasticed in mm-hmm. until like May when he takes the plastic off, but then he uses that as a miniature kind of greenhouse. And so okay. it is almost time to start getting ready. Cause so the pictures I posted yesterday, these were so cool. Some he took toilet paper tubes and put potting soil. And we, last year we got this awesome stuff called pit moss. And it's like this stuff you mix in with your potting soil. It makes it more absorbent. It doesn't use peat, which is kind of nice because I've heard some questionable practices about where people are getting peat delivered from. And so it's a natural recycled type of material. It almost feels like shredded newspaper. And so he mixed that with the dirt, but you don't have to either way, but he put it either in 
toilet paper tubes or he put them in eggshells in an egg carton. So he took these eggshells and then he put the dirt in there and then he put the seeds in there. And, and then, so then he'll hmm. start with that, just expand. Like he's constantly planting, you know, broccoli seeds and pepper seeds. And just before I know it, there will be this huge, and one year he had 750 starts in that porched and green wow. of like peppers, broccoli. You never know hours, what's going on there. Tomatoes, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and it's amazing. been a challenge for us because we haven't had a lot of water. But he's just learned over the years. Every year we try to expand a new better too. So, but yeah, it's time to start thinking about that. And then the other cool thing that Mike does that I think is so interesting. Well, one, if you're starting seeds from scratch, he uses a mister instead of watering on top, and he mm, mists yeah. like I don't know how he doesn't get carpal tunnel from running that mister all the time, but just like doing those itty bitty. And then the other thing he yeah. does, he builds like miniature greenhouses like out of your old you know your plastic salad container you get your spring greens in and 92 percent of households that start the year with peloton are still active a year later 92 percent because of a bike not just bikes we also make treadmills and rowers oh let me guess for elite athletes only right nope it doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals 92 percent stick with it so can you try peloton bikes tread or row risk-free with a 30-day home trial new members only not available in remote locations see additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial 92 percent of households that start the year with peloton are still active a year later 92 percent because of a bike not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Mm-hmm. He'll make that, like he puts the pepper plants in there to kind of make it a heated space inside and then he shuts the lid you know just enough and and it opens that mm. and so that kind of creates this little itty bitty miniature you know greenhouse like a terrarium almost yeah that's yeah you know and i it think that's really smart different. because part of being organic is using what you have and not always having to buy some fancy shiny new thing that's you know using resources of the world you know is is using what you already have on hand like you know you're talking about toilet paper rolls and uh, we've done a lot of yeah, that too so cool. you can even use old socks and things all kinds of things to really you know reuse what we already have on hand so i think that's a really big part of it what i wanted to ask too uh, going into organics i mean to me there's something really amazing about getting it to the point where you're saying like you know take those three years to get your soil back to being clean and um you know having this clean environment um it's beneficial for you know the, the wildlife and the bird life as well um, and a lot of people don't want to go organic because, oh, they're like, oh, we need pesticides. Like you were saying, pests is always a big deal. And, you know, from our experiences, that nature takes its course. And it's, you know, organic is not just here, organic fruits and vegetables. Organic is, you know, doing the same thing with your flowers because, you know, water runs. Everything's connected. And um, tell us a little bit about the benefits for you being organic um, and balancing it out. Are you seeing more bird life and are the birds getting your bugs? Are you seeing that ecosystem happen in, in your garden? Absolutely. And so when I interviewed G. Martin Fortier, you know, he talks a lot about the biointensive farming and building like a little mm-hmm. canopy. And I saw so much like last year it just seemed to really click in when I was down on the mini farm with Mike I would see where he would have that exact 
biointensive type of planting where you're building like almost a canopy to try to help keep the bugs out and just, um, you know, surrounding our garden with sunflowers is a huge way mm-hmm. to attract um Sometimes the sunflowers attract the negative, the the bugs mm-hmm. that you want to get out, but they keep them out of your, they give them something else to eat. And they don't really harm your sunflowers as much, or they definitely attract the beneficial insects in. So it's kind of like a double, like not only do you have these beautiful flowers there, but they're helping with your, you know, your garden. Mike always plants marigolds and nasturtiums near interplanting mm-hmm. in with his tomatoes and cucumbers because those work together to help keep your pesta bay and um nice. there's just yeah nice. we totally see that here the benefits of having um and we definitely get birds i mean the sunflower seeds we i mean we do buy a lot of sunflower seeds we get a lot of birds here in the winter and throughout the summer and like my sunflowers that i planted one year I, my goal was to plant 750 sunflowers was my garden challenge one year then i realized if i want to be a flower farmer i need to plant like 750 sunflowers every week or maybe a thousand every wow. week for like <laughs> 20 weeks or at least for like two to three months straight but Oh, if you wow. want to grow sunflower seeds for the seeds, the problem I had was I left them in the the too long in the garden too long, and the birds just ate them all. I went out like it was just like over a course of like a couple of days. All of a sudden, I went out there, and all the seeds were gone. Like the birds had eaten every seed that I thought I was going to have for the next year. So, because saving your seeds is another thing that people have talked about a lot. Like if you want to save our planet, they keep talking about saving seeds is one yeah, of the biggest things that you exactly. can do. So, and, and, and that's you know, also that's I, not just in plants. It's also with the um, animal breeds, like ha- keeping heritage seeds. Heritage, you know, it's like we've, we're getting down to here's your one type of turkey left, and there used to be all kinds of turkeys, you know, that people would eat. So it's like you know, you it, it's you know, it, it's really interesting how we've ended up like here's one kind of corn that you get on the shelves in a store, but there used to be all these different mazes that would go with the with the regions, you know. Um, it's it is really important that we save seeds, and you know, it, over here in Tucson, um, Arizona, where we are, we have a, a organization, a nonprofit called Native Seed Search, and it's about getting back to the roots because we, I mean, we're on the border of Mexico, and also uh, have the Tohoto Odom uh, Reservation here, and so what we do is, you know, there's this movement to bring back the crops and the plants from uh, the, the ancient ancient peoples and protect them and it's so much better for the environment and if you just go out into nature you'll find half of those plants that used to be there or if they're in a protected area you'll still see them and so that's a huge movement out here so are, is Montana like that do you have those kind of work I'm just curious we want to come up to Montana to come see your parks so I want to know about the what, what it's like out there <laughs> Well, one of my most awesome episodes was this guy, David Schmetterling, who lives in Missoula, which is one of the bigger cities here. But if you look at the pictures on his blog, which I think is called Montana Wildlife Gardener, like when Uh I first called him and was going to do the interview with him, like I thought he lived on 20 acres in the middle of the woods. Like it was just so gorgeous and such a woodland area. And he talks specifically about the Native Plant Society in Montana and how him and his wife only use water irrigate their vegetables and their whole incredibly beautiful landscape and they have like people come and want to learn about their landscape he's like our house stands out in missoula people are always walking by to learn because it's all 100 percent native and there are there's a very big native plant society 
and movement within our state, although I would like it to be more well-known. And, you know, that's something that's really important I wanted to mention for your listeners is one thing my show a lot of people have talked about is, like, even if you don't want to grow a garden, like, growing landscapes and just, like, your, you know, your yard. What is your yard going to look like? And then also the fact that a lot of people don't realize the chemicals that landscapers put on your yard, if you're putting, like, weed and feed or anything like that just on your grass, Mm. that your animals are the closest to it they're short your pets your kids learn to crawl and your toddlers your babies are really low they're taking in so much more of that like the tests that have been done on those chemicals that you're putting on your lawn are based on humans who are adults and that a child's system is breathing in so much more of those toxic chemicals and so if you do nothing else then don't put those chemicals on your lawn like building your soil like Mike Mm -hmm. and I have shoveled huge shovels full of sprinkled of just um, cow manure. We did get some peat from the wildlife. They dug up this pond. I can't remember how it happened, but like nearby, like, and it was when my husband had his backhoe business and his dump truck, we hauled dump truck loads. Like they were digging up this pond for some reason. And there was just all this peat they gave this woman for sale and people were buying, like it was like $20 for the, soil and then $50 to haul it for the diesel and just Mike had a really good summer that summer and we just shoveled that all over our lawn and that's one of the things that's really helped putting that natural Mm. peat down mix type of stuff or just Mm. like taking care of your lawn and then another one is like I talked to this guy Russ Medge down in Utah who has a business called Simply Trees and he teaches people how to prune trees and the difference between and I also talked to Dave Salmon down in New Mexico near where you were about the same thing about healthy trees. You know, you're not going to get diseases on your trees if you keep the soil around your trees healthy. If you make sure your mm-hmm. roots have room to breathe and to grow down deep, like just the healthy soil thing has been just huge. And so not putting chemicals on your lawn counts just as much. Not putting chemicals on your flowers, even if you're not eating those flowers, you still don't want to be mm. putting any kind of chemical fertilizers or pesticides on those things that, like you said, the bees are going to eat, the beneficial insects are going to eat, that the birds are going to eat. The monarch butterfly, Dave Salmon wanted to make the monarch butterfly the, you know, kind of, um, uh, what's it called, uh, like the mascot for the environmental mm-hmm. movement because we need, you know, watching where those butterflies are and making sure they have enough habitat to be able to migrate is like an essential thing. You know, you hear about the bees, but the monarch butterfly is another one too. And just creating an environment and an ecosystem where things can thrive. Like even if you're not growing any food at all, I think is, um, I don't know. I call my audience green future growers because we're all, you know, it's not just about just growing vegetables for you to eat. It's like about caring for our whole planet. And then, like you mentioned, I live right by Glacier National Park. I mean, and we're, you know, here in Montana surrounded by thousands of acres of forest service land and just, you know, caring. And, and then, like I said, I teach on, so I actually drive through Glacier National Park, a very teeny tiny part of it every single weekend going back and forth to work. And so caring for the environment that's so close to one of our greatest treasures is super important. Yeah, because animals don't really know a boundary and um, and <laughs> neither does water, you know, whether it's right? rainwater or, you know, so there's that balance where, you know, that, that's, I think, one of the most important things we, we do, um, especially with our Parks and Travel magazine, is really to put that buffer where the community is really important to the park and the park is really important to the community, uh, whether it is a, you know, full-time community or, you know, the visiting community. So whatever your footprints are now, even 
even in parks now they're asking here like they do it and I know we had an we did an interview with uh park ranger Beth Hudick out in Pinnacles National Park in Central California and we've hiked around that area and she was talking about how invasive species go out there into yeah. parks and how you have to be careful that you're not taking a fungus through and um into parks and into caves that are killing off these bats well it all comes from what we're putting in our gardens. Our, uh, the gardening community has a direct relationship with, this, with our parks and our protected wilderness lands, especially farmers and farming, because especially on mass scale. So whatever we're putting out on our crops or our flowers or even our herb garden or even our patio garden is going to affect the protected places. So even here in Saguaro National Park, we went hiking a couple weeks ago and Lo and behold, right there, there's a big uh, boot brusher. So before you get on a trail, they're asking you to clean your shoes before you get on a trail so you're not bringing in buffalo grass and things like that because we, as gardeners, are actually affecting these parks. I love what you're talking about is protecting those, keeping that buffer so it's a natural, uh, a clean natural habitat as it should be. You know, even if a bird crosses over that boundary, (laughs) dare you (laughs) cross over (laughs) Or the buffalo leave the park in Yellowstone. That kills me. Oh, that's cool. So you get to see buffalo and all kinds of cool critters out there. That's got to be neat, you know. Do, do, what kind of, do you get deer in your garden or anything like that? What kind of wildlife have you seen? Climber really quick. We don't have buffalo walking out of the park here where I am because that's no. Yellowstone's on the southern side of the state. But um, we definitely have deer, elk. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of bears on our at my house, but I have neighbors Uh very close by who have had to have bear, um, you know, the fish, wildlife, and parks people come through. And we have mountain lions. I mean, but Mike has, without a doubt, in Montana, and it doesn't matter if you're in town or out of town, deer are definitely, you have to have a deer fence. I mean, you're not going to grow anything. Mm -hmm. They're going to eat it. I mean, you know, there's like, I don't think they eat peonies. There's a couple of flowers you can plant that they don't eat, but for the most part, and we actually had, um, excuse me, like a incident last summer. And I keep telling Mike, it's better that it happened in the spring. Don't be so upset about it. But he lost basically all of his tomatoes and a lot of his peppers because somehow the gate got left open one night and the deer got in. But I'm like, it's better that it happened in May than it happened in August. And they got every single thing because there were three deer in there when he got in, when he went down in the morning. But um, yeah, you cannot deer just... So we, when we very first started out, and I was saying we had those two beds that were like four by eight, he built yeah. like these little triangle things on the side made out of like chicken wire. And then he had two eight by four, just really light chicken wire. I don't know how to explain it. It's kind of like a window or something like that you could just pull off and put down. They were really mm-hmm. light and easy to pick up and move. And that's how we kept the deer out in the very beginning. I mean, it was kind of frustrating, but... But now he's just built tons of fence. And like I was saying, the problem is the chicken gets over the fence. But the chickens have not figured out how to get into the mini farm yet and cross my fingers. Because I think he'd be (laughs) done with me if the chickens got into the mini farm. (laughs) But for some reason, they don't. But they walk completely around. Like, we have 260 feet of fence around off each edge of our house. And they walk around it, but they can jump in and out and over it, and they, like, know how to fly over it all the time. But the fence around the mini farm is the exact same fence, uh, but they don't get in there for some reason. But I definitely, you know, creatures are tough. A lot of my guests have talked about gophers. One woman talked about putting, like, wine bottles 
and they were mm. like she buried them like one every foot and somehow they must have been neck up because she put like a stick and then like a tin can on it to make noise and for some reason because she was really close to the canadian border and she said for some reason that um worked pretty good for keeping the moles out but definitely moles gophers those type of things everybody struggles with around here too Wow, we had and a just, bottle of garden too when we were in the, the Joshua Tree area because our oh, very really? first show, because uh, Sunday's a Champagne Sunday show. So we were doing borders and we got tired of buying border stuff. And we're like, well, this is stupid. You know, it's like re- reuse, like what you're talking about, or what Mike does. So after our radio show, we'd have our champagne and we'd go take our bottle and plant it. And and that's how we did our garden uh, borders with bottles, champagne bottles. And then we found that we're not the only ones who do that. <laughs> we found um, it was a national park in Louisiana when we were at Cane River, Nas- uh, Cane River um, and National Historical Park at one of the plantations. It was a bicentennial farm, these gigantic oak trees with these resurrection ferns growing on them. I mean, huge oak trees, right, um, that have been there for hundreds of years. And we're walking around, and right at the front of the plantation house, is a garden with all these daylilies and all these different flowers and guess what the beds were wine bottles so we figured that we're we're part of that movement of the bottles but i'd never thought about putting a stick in cans with that that's pretty cool that's smart see i like this that's yep. how that's how you <laughs> you work with the environment use what you have <laughs> i love yeah. that um I want to tell everybody also, again, uh, Jackie's website to go and listen to the podcast. Uh, all of, you know, anybody getting started or already in it, go take a listen. Go to organicgardenerpodcast.com. And you've also got some great resources on there. You, um, All the guests that you've been on, you have their books up there that people can get, but also some of your own things. You've got your art note cards. People, nature people are going to love those. Uh, but also you have um, an e-book that you also have and a PDF book, uh, Seven Awesome Ways to Find More Time to Garden. That's very cool. So that's when someone signs up for your newsletter, they get that, right? Yep. And then we also came up with a thing that over Christmas break called freegardencourse.com and you can go there and we develop like and actually it's like a work in progress because it's supposed to be like one lesson a month um Mm -hmm. and so the first six lessons are up so you can like if you're a brand new beginner and we put a lot of just facts and information things i've learned from the show and stuff that mike's done to just help people because like i said you know our goal is to teach people and just Mm -hmm. to help save our planet for our, our grandkids and for other kids and just the birds and the animals and just so we have a healthier place to live. Right on, right on. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Now I'm going to close with some music for you because, <laughs> because you are out in the beautiful, uh, you know, Montana, the big blue skies, and you've got the mountains and the national park right behind you there. Um, I want to play a song for you. It's called Alpine Glow because you get those, that you get Alpine Glow where you are, thank that you. beautiful, we- I know. I, you know that it's so beautiful, and uh, we can't wait to get up there. But uh, this song is called Alpen Glow, and it's from – and because you're a teacher, I wanted to play this too. <laughs> you're a teacher of kids and of gardening. Um, it's it's from a young man called Everin Ozan, and he um, is a NAMI Award winner, uh, you know, the Native American Music Awards. Uh, when he was um, nine years old, he went on a cross-country trip with his mom, and they stopped at the Grand Canyon, and he went into a little shop and bought a Native American flute and just started playing. I mean, literally. Oh. And he he ended up winning all these awards, being in the National Geographic, and 
this is off of his um, album Alluvia. He's done three albums, and he's written all this music here on on this album. And um, yeah, now he's a pilot. <laughs> he's a downhill uh, skateboarder champion too for California, and uh, he still goes to schools and recreates powwows and teaches them Native American music. But seeing him perform is amazing. Like the lights go out and. It's like he's channeling something. It's just really, really beautiful. And I just thought, you know what? You're up in the big, big country of big mountains and big skies. So I wanted to play Alpenglow. So here it is, everyone. You can go to ozanmusic.com to learn more about Everin. But thank you so much, Jackie. It's been a real pleasure having this great gardening chat with you. Oh, my gosh. This has been so wonderful. I feel like we're like kindred, I don't know, just friends that we have so much in common. So thank you so much for letting me share and I hope your listeners will check out my show if they're interested in learning. And go get worming, everybody. Composting and worming, it's fun. <laughs> so everyone, again, it's organicgardenerpodcast.com. Here it is, Alpenglow. Take care, Jackie. All right, you too, Lisa.
92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial.